Hey guys, okay, so this post actually took me a surprisingly long time to write. That was not really because of the difficulty of the topic or because a lack of inspiration. It was not even existential boredom. On the very contrary, the reason why it was so difficult is that the raw material never stopped flowing. It was rolling downhill like a mudslide, actually. So I do know that there is no such thing as a scandal-free period or even a regime. But at the moment, it starts to be extremely concerning to me. How far do we have to go back to see such a daily occurrence, such a daily frequency? Maybe the 30s? I'm not so sure. But what we do see over the past weeks is that nobody, not a country, not a regime, nobody seems immune. It looks actually pretty much like, you know, a sticker collection rush. You know, you want to finish absolutely your Panini collection. In France, we've got Macron with Uber, we've got Abba, Darmama, Zakharopoulou, Cockrell, the, uh, the finance um, department head of uh, the French parliament. In the UK, we've got the never-ending story of Boris Johnson, the Pincher case, and so on and so forth. So we talk about countries, we talk about regimes, we talk about institutions, presidents, prime ministers, ministers, parliamentarians, and so on and so forth. This is truly House of Cards, live on your screen. And yet, to me, the most striking, the more problematic, is not the numbers, it's not the frequency. Maybe, and this is a careful thought, it's not even sometimes the scandals themselves that are worrying. It is actually the staggering reactions we see from all of these politicians or figures of authority themselves. What we do have in common is a disbelief, an indignation at being taken to task for this or that. For me, this, this standard behavior, this affronted dignity is exactly what is the problem. It says it all. Whenever we've got evidence surfacing anywhere, the standard operating risk answer is always, who, me? So let's take a few examples, joking about appointing a known sexual predator, organizing parties for myself and my crew, while I'm selling at the same time police on the street to enforce a curfew and collect fines, by the way. Or I'm discussing with targeted companies the very pesky regulations I'm in charge of enforcing. Is it poking, groping, grabbing, even raping? The fact themselves are enough, of course. They are puzzling, they are shocking, they are abhorrent. But to me, it is the reaction of entitlement, the recorded reactions of entitlement, which are the more problematic. It is probable that some did much worse, but Boris Johnson is for me the paragon of this attitude. As the apex politician, the prime minister, no less, of his country, his exit speech was a staggering self-indictment of contemporary politics. Let's review it in detail. Basically, what he said was, how shocking is it that I'm held responsible for my administration? After all, I was betrayed by my own camp while I had the mandate from millions of voters, an historical upswell in politic, political support. 
Well, truth be told, to anybody and everybody else reading or hearing this, it seems clear enough that this mandate was never intended to be a free pass to overlook sexual predators, even less to appoint them as political enforcers for your own party, nor did it actually allow you to organize not one, but tens of illegal parties, 13 to the last count, actually. And in general, as a matter of fact, disregarding the very rules you set or you're in charge of enforcing, or actually you are expected to follow. To add another layer to this puzzlement, to this reaction of mine, minutes after the resignation, I can't find, I could not find at the time, nor now, any newspaper in England which did not have at least one article, even among its church's supporters, that did not come up with at least a list, if not a mention, of the casual dishonesty, that's the son's term, of Boris Johnson's, as if he was some kind of, you know, cute little rascal. Frankly, no, this is not possible. You cannot, on the one hand, being whinging and commenting about the rise of the extremes and the collapse of public engagement and think that this is this attitude is some kind of, you know, rascally affair. To be fair, France did not behave any better. It is not one, it is not two, it is known as that three ministers which were appointed in the Leicester government after this, the resounding loss of the last parliamentary elections by the uh, Macron government. It's not so much the individuals themselves, it is not so much their decisions, their behaviors. These are one problem, one side of the issue, and they will be dealt with. But the reaction of the individual is something else. It, it, is, it expresses an utter disregard for the public, an utter disregard for the rules, and it seems quite systemic in the sense that it is a standard answer to what, after all, seems to them to be a standard problem. And truth be told, if you look beyond these countries to the region, to global organizations, whether the UN or the European Commission, well, we saw the video of the files that the lines are at the very least blurred, if not totally erased. Before we go any further, I think it's important that I confirm that in my own eyes, in my own opinion, there will always be gray zones to any kind of public or corporate action. Indeed, the blurred lines generally allow some more efficient, some faster ways of finding solutions. And frankly speaking, we both know that no organization, system, political system or otherwise can really operate without some steam valves for these kind of great cases. There can be also some kind of public meetings or some kind of, of meetings of mind which allow for these kind of exchanges to actually bear fruits and bring further solutions. This can be called Davos, this can be called Bildenberg or whatever. But the original idea behind all of these gray zones, all of these meetings, all of these kind of beyond the scope and beyond the mandate meeting are to serve a kind of greater good, which is accepted or at least known or at least stated. It allows some kind of leeway in conception or execution and 
in my opinion, this in general cannot be dismissed out of hand. So I'm not advocating in any way, shape or form that there should be some kind of iron rule on everything and anything. After all, I agree, and probably you would agree as well, that any country can defend itself within a given frame. And thus, most countries, if not all countries, do operate some form of secret services. For example, in the US, it took nearly two centuries until a formal secret service was actually set up during the Second World War. But nevertheless, there was always some kind of intelligence operations running. Again, operating per definition on the edge, on the gray line of the law. Even the Swiss have got some kind of secret service agency. But regardless of position, regardless of intent, regardless of execution, whether you are public, public or private, whether you are corporate or an administrator, well, these gray zones are always enshrined in some kind of legal or paralegal frame. Basically, they, this is some version of with great power comes great responsibility. In other words, accountability. Gray zones, per definition, are set, framed, possibly sanctioned, maybe by default, maybe actively, that is literally forbidden, but they are never, none of them, never defined by the individual themselves, never defined on the fly, never defined ad hoc. So, self-righteousness, as we see today, self-explanation, self-styling, as we see regularly in the political debate right now, can only end up in drifting morality as you set your own barriers, as you set the moral rules, and essentially you expect everybody else to do as they are supposed to do while you do what you want to do. This cannot excuse on accountability. This cannot exonerate you from actually giving back accounts of your actions. After all, acting in the best interest and intent surely can be explainable. It's not even a question that it could be, should be put into a public court, public court meaning something which represents the public. Does not mean it has to be done publicly. But what cannot exist is unaccountability and self-serving justifications as we hear them one time after the other today. So you may think that I'm hammering a lot on this particular theme, but truth be told, if you really believe in democracy, if you are really, really looking for this world of tomorrow as much as I do, then you know that it all starts with a belief in a common set of rules a common law, whether it is written, whether it is verbal, whether it is established in texts, in written law, or by jurisprudence, regardless of time, period, and frankly, regime, these rules set actions in which an action is acceptable, legal if you want, or not. Whenever you want to reinterpret them, there is a mechanism which is linked to the possibility that circumstances change. This is as well generally covered in law or usage or both. However, in none of these circumstances, except in absolute regimes and even then, except 
in these cases, it is not up to the individual, however well-intended, however exalted, however enshrined in the public spirit, to inter reinterpret these rules and ultimately to reinterpret them under his own personal prism. After all, everybody wants to be elected, everybody wants to be re-elected, especially if they think that their cause is the right one. But then, why would Watergate be such a scandal then? So the first layer any audience, any public sees is individual behavior. Long, very long before, what remains, to be very frank, an extremely technical and sometimes, if not often, obscure legal backbone of what we call law or jurisprudence. Frankly, the reaction to legal accusations is an acid test to this. And this is not, we are not talking, in none of these cases, we are not talking about simply slandering on social media or the typical Kardashian tit for tat. Here we are talking about legal accusations. And if you want to make people believe in your vision, then you have to literally demonstrate the principles you believe in. Hence, you cannot just dismiss them or overlook them. You cannot just invoke all of these principles into speech and the moment you are put in the hot seat, then simply overlook them. You may think that there is no real vision out there, as I do, and as I put into, I have no dream, but if you add to this, what we are losing today, which is the belief that we as a community live on the one common set of rules, then you are totally destroying the credibility, not only of the system, but of the whole idea of moving the system to a next level. So here, what we are talking about is not even individual personal credibility of people. What we are really talking about is the belief in the possibility to find a solution. So. If we do think, as I do, that we need to regain public support, that the core, the essence of what we are trying to achieve here is to overcome the frustration, to overcome the spreading anger, which we see everywhere in the world, where I think that a good start is do as I do, not only as I say. This is actually, again, what we saw very directly, very pragmatically with the President Zelensky. Regardless of his politics, regardless of what we believed or what we knew about Ukraine and the Ukrainian regime, what we did actually react to instinctively around the world is the guy in his bunker saying, I'm staying put because I want to protect my people. That, without excuses, without whinging, without whining, without any other elements, without any other further ado, illustrated what we want, what we need to see in a democracy. The same goes with answering accusations of this, that, or the third one, even before considering whether or not it is right or wrong. Truth be told, most public figures around the world, across countries, do have genuine talent. They have genuine knowledge, they have genuine capabilities, but what we want to see them doing is actually achieve the visions they should propose. So before we do all of that, what we do need to see is factual actions inspired by public spirit as a norm, 
not as an exception. Going back to res publicae, this is the Latin root behind republic. This means more than public affairs. This means the public spirit. It is a mystical belief. This is the belief in accountability towards the audience, the public, the citizens. This is what we learned from Pericles, from Danton, from Lincoln, from Churchill, from JFK, from De Gaulle. This is why all of these leaders remain national myths, because, or despite their own individual decisions and failings, they are all accepted because they all lived or they were all perceived and seen to live under the common rules of the game. So, yeah, no, for me, the problem is not really the amount of daily scandals we are confronted with. They are big. But overall, I think that we are well-placed to actually judge them and take action against them. No, what really puzzles me, what really concerns me, is that more than the scandals themselves, it is the perceived lack of accountability and the standard reactions which we see. This is a systematic and even systemic indignation at being questioned, at being confronted with denials. All of these reactions further erode trust and belief in the possibility to find solutions. And again, don't forget, we come from a public mindset which has already been shaken for years. This I already highlighted in the end of implicit trust. But we know now that palaces can burn. Look at Sri Lanka. Look at Kazakhstan. Not that there is any solution to this, apart from releasing the pent-up frustration at what is a rigged game. But how can we do that? There must be demonstrable accountability by the representative and the different actors in this game. I think that what starts with personal accountability can be continued with a vision, leaving this accountability and this vision, and then laying out a true future. This is the price I think we've got to pay to actually deploy this vision for tomorrow, which we all think we are looking for.